121, yes, I'm able to count tonight, <laughs> of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. Uh, we are recording on Guy Fox Day 2023. Uh, my name's Eric, host of the show, based in Southern Ontario, target shooter, hunter, ham radio operator, and of course, computer geek. As first responder, witness an over-reliance on emergency services during major events, started a small preparedness company to help everybody remember, remember the 5th of November. You actually read it. That's so sweet. <laughs> I did. Yeah. <laughs> nice. My name is Ian. I am a part-time hippie on Vancouver Island who has no idea how offset work works. And I, today, I guess I'm the unpaid intern, so I'm going to do the show again. I'm sorry. Yeah, who are you're, you? the, you're the who? Yeah. yeah. How'd this guy get the link? Oh. That OPSEC <laughs> on your part. <laughs> What's OPSEC? I'm Armando. I drive a bread truck in Wisconsin. I'm also a first responder from Ontario, and I like learning things, and I worry about our fragile infrastructure. And I'm Jeff. I am based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, ham radio operator, general overall handyman, and weather nerd. And I'm Brad. I'm in eastern Ontario, part-time amateur prepper, constantly trying to better myself. And I'm the frugal gunny, recently moved to northern Ontario, pretty much in the middle of nowhere. I'm an off-gridder, shooter, hunter-fisher-gatherer kind of guy, and a generalist. And it's only recently that I came to accept. I'm Terry. Except that he's frozen. <laughs> oh, he's frozen. Yes, he did. Is he still there? Uh, yes. Okay, good. Good. Oh, it's my turn. Okay. Terry, I live in sunny central Ontario, starving indie author. Pathetic hunter, terrible fisherman, and I'm here because somebody said there was beer. <laughs> well, there's beer? There's beer. I heard there's beer here. Sweet. Well played, Terry. Well played. <laughs> there might be a beer or two as well, yes. And if you want to help support the show, embrace consumerism, not communism, consumerism, and buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the Tactical Velcro patch at PrepperPodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on, the backup generator fueled, and help cover some of our costs. All right. If you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and submit a review on iTunes or wherever you may have found us. We seriously want your feedback, good or bad, even if it's just a topic you want us to cover or something you learned this week. You can email us at feedback at PrepperPodcast.ca. Look at the intern there just reading the lines perfectly. It's almost like I wrote him or something. I think he really wants he must a job. Have practiced. Here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we've got some basic content for you in this episode. We're going to start off with some relevant news articles as usual. We'll update you on our personal preps. Then we're going to get into the main topic. And yeah, we're nerding out on ham radio again tonight. <laughs> awesome. Well, news time. Uh, let's see here. I guess, well, the war in Ukraine is uh, nearing its, I guess, inevitable conclusion here. Uh, I guess as they're no longer the uh, the main attraction and the kind of like the geopolitical side piece of the, the U.S. right now. Um, they have an article here that says that uh, the U.S. has been basically approaching the Russians for a peace negotiations. Yeah, and uh, I guess they're running out of ammo and people and fuel and stuff. All so is that you, Ukraine's war, running out of stuff, or yeah, or, 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 the, or the countries that have been supporting them for the last year and a half? Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> everything. <laughs> so no, it's, it's kind of funny because even we gave away all of our rifles and everything else, and uh, you know, so basically, even the Canadian forces is, is short of rifles now, even so. 
yeah, they've uh, they pretty much run out of supply lines. They've run out of people. They've run out of everything. And now the U.S. is focusing on obviously another hotbed of uh, activity. So, yeah, um, it seems to be winding down, uh, which is a bit of a surprise out of the blue, so to speak. Uh, another article I had was uh, Russia making an ash of itself. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, there is a uh, volcano that erupted on the eastern Russia there. And lo and behold, the volcanic ash cloud just landed in Vancouver last night. And so that actually shut down a bunch of flights uh, for about, I think, six or seven hours, something like that, by the time it was all said and done. So it just goes to show you, it doesn't take a nuclear weapon to shut down everything. It just takes uh, Mother Nature now and then. So, But volcanic ash clogs the engines and stuff, does it not? Isn't well, that it's, kind of the it's, big problem? It's aerosolized glass particles, right? So it's basically what it is. So as soon as it goes to an airplane engine, it basically turns the internals of the engine into solid glass. So... And not to mention scrubs the windshield so you can't see out of them and everything else. But yeah, it'll basically cause massive engine failures that aren't reco recoverable. So they basically ground all the airplanes as the ash cloud flies over. And then once it clears out of the way, then they can go again. But I guess uh, flights were diverting all around it over the Pacific last night and all sorts of stuff. And then it shut down Vancouver Airport for a while. So that was a bit of a surprise too. Hmm. Yeah, and that's all I had. Was it a particularly egregious eruption or just happened to have the ash cloud land right in Vancouver. That's an awfully big word for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, actually, you know, it was the, I guess it's the largest, uh, largest volcano in Eurasia. So it's the, uh, the one on the Kamchatka Peninsula. And I, I can't pronounce the name of it anyways, but it's, uh, it let off a big belch the other day, about four days ago. And I guess nobody really died from it per se, but I guess it was shut down in Eastern Russia for a while. And then it was kind of just floating across this like fallout style. And then it finally hit Canada. And as Gary T says, all it takes is one ash hole to shut things down. But um, bump. <laughs> well done. Well done. Well yeah. Done. That's all I had. Uh, so I was just looking at the Israel, Gaza and the Russia, Ukraine situation and one article that stuck to me was really talking about um israel gaza spreading into a wider conflict i mean you're sort of hearing of uh incursions into syria and that kind of thing it's not something specific but there's a huge buildup of naval vessels in the mediterranean and it just feels like one big powder keg um i'm only mentioning it partially just to timestamp this podcast so that a year from now we can sort of look back fondly on the good old days <laughs> so. anyway, yeah i don't i don't have a doubt uh just mentioning country i don't have a doubt that uh iran is going to have a major significant part in this at some point in the not too distant future and that's something we should be concerned about well there's actually interesting a couple of geopolitical changes because the first thing is like you said iran is getting a little bit uppity they haven't left their own borders since the 1700s right so this is a big step for them if they're going to start you know projecting outwards but china put a uh, warship in the region too which is kind of way out of their usual area operations and uh, israel moved out of the mediterranean into the red sea so again everybody's kind of like stretching out a bit so which is leads to a higher potential for conflict right Anyway. Okay, so I had, and it should come as no surprise to anyone, that our CCFR, Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights, and a few other actors lost that court case against the federal government to uh, stop, put a stop to that OIC gun ban. Uh, yeah, no surprise. 
you know, with our wonderful justice system that we got. But uh, yeah, they lost every argument and basically sided with the liberals. Big surprise, right? I'm going to yeah, bet no money that, that was a liberal appointee judge. Oh, is there any doubt in your mind? Nope. Yeah, it's uh, it's gone the way of the banana republic when it comes to the justice system nowadays, because I think they just follow marching orders and the outcome is usually predetermined. And yeah, instead of actually looking at the mer merit of the case law, it's um, it's kind of gone a little sad. Yeah, and, you know, all, all the all the bull that was going around about it and the lies and the so on just completely irrelevant just like everything else that goes on yeah pretty sad, sad day for democracy hmm. well, yeah it's unfortunate that it played out that way but i'm sure there'll be an appeal we'll see what happens drag it out a few more years well, I guess yep. that's a good thing is like, no matter who lost or who won, there's going to be an appeal no matter what. I mean, unfortunately, one yeah. side has unlimited legal resources and the other side mm -hmm. has to like get funded. But I mean, no matter what, the lawyers are going to get rich, right? Yeah. CCFR says they're going to appeal it. So we'll yeah. see how far that goes. Time yeah. will tell. Time will tell. Yeah. Well, with that sad little bit of news, should we move into what we've done lately for preps? So I uh, cleaned and sorted through my garage, got some of my tools and supplies a bit more ordered and inventoried. Um, so it's always fun finding the things you'd forgotten about or hadn't seen in a while. Uh, tried to get some of the last bits of outdoor winter prep done. We've had a bit of snow up here and it's always a little scary because there's always more to do. Um, I started musing about getting some sandbags. Um, empty ones so that if there is any flooding issues come spring i'm not scrambling looking for sandbags or figuring out what to do um just to sort of something that was floating around in my brain uh and my uh, my good buddy just took possession of their new cottage so i've been looking at different uh, comms options for them he may be getting a ham radio course for a christmas present shh don't tell <laughs> uh, but looking at local repeaters and uh, the topography between the cottage and here. Um, so I put a, a note, uh, or sorry, the link in the webcast. There's a great site where you can just plop two pins on a map, set elevations, and it'll chart out the topography between them. So if there's a, a high range and you're not going to get line of sight, um, it's pretty cool. It's a neat tool worth uh, worth looking at. So whether we are able to do it with local repeaters or if we need to get into high frequency or um, NVIS, uh, whatever yes, those are, everything. I guess we'll have to find out. Yes, for all. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> um, the cottage has some really tall trees there, like huge, huge pine trees. So yeah, I think we're going to have to get very creative, but we can get some antennas crazy high up. So I'm very, very excited to, to play that out. Is this a three-season or a four-season cottage? Uh, it's just a three-season that he got, uh, mostly because it's just lake draw water. So I think they have to pull the water lines in. Well, there are the water lines are already in, the pump's sitting in the garage. Um, but, you know, lovely cottage for him, great fishing. And a great bug out location, I think. So, so anyway, it's really cool. I'm, I'm very happy for them. And, and the biggest uh, question, does it have power or is it solar? How does it, how is it powered? Uh, it is on the grid. Um, it's on sort of a, a street that uh, gets plowed and has uh, actually has like local garbage pickup. It's kind of cool that way. Um, 
So it's an urban so, cottage. Yeah, reasonably, but you know, it's it's on a good acre. It's surrounded by trees. It's on a you know a huge lake with a gajillion bays and good fishing, which was one of their priorities. Um, and it's just it's a really nice cottage, and uh, yeah, so we're we're super happy for them. It's always nice to see your friends doing well. Sounds very civilized. Yeah, very nice. Good for them. Yeah. yeah. So a question for you. How much does do sandbags actually go for? Like, I mean, where would you get them? Because I, I mean, on top of the flooding aspect, there's also the ballistic protection aspect, which always, you know, kind of comes to the forefront when you hear sandbags. But um, no, I'm actually kind of <laughs> curious for the flooding aspect, how much it would cost you to get, like, say, a couple hundred sandbags on a pallet just sitting there waiting to use or whatever. Like, I don't know if they're like five bucks each, two bucks each or... Well, I was just looking at the empty sandbags, um, quite frankly, just on like an AliExpress, you know, order 50 or 100 sandbags in that kind of standard size. Um, you know, we have enough property here and I usually have like a full triaxle full of gravel dumped so that I can fill all the potholes in my, uh, my driveway and stuff. So I figure if I have the aggregate here and have something I can put it in other than individual garbage bags, just sort of seems like a a fairly low volume, low cost, but while that would be handy if, if there's any issues. I mean, even if it's just, you know, a four inch break across the, the garage, so nothing's flooding in that way. Um, so just something I've been musing with. Well, that's a good idea. I mean, because I mean, when the time comes, it's like you don't want to wait for that AliExpress delivery when the floods are going to be here in 48 hours or less. So, or whatever, right? <laughs> well, it's just nice to have them on hand. But I just I mean, checked one of my suppliers. I can get sandbags if anyone's interested. <laughs> good thing I know a guy. <laughs> news stories where they have people filling sandbags and you know they grab some pylons and make a big funnel to speed up the process you know and it's all lovely but if you're rushing around trying to find sandbags when you need and them, all the politicians want to show up and get their picture taken and go look at me i'm filling oh, a sandbag yeah exactly yep. i mean the reality you know, is that's something kids are for but i mean this is true but <laughs> well, they have to listen first <laughs> yeah but I don't want to pile up the children in front of the garage. I want to have the children fill oh, the sandbags. Okay. So I can yeah, I can actually clarify. Yeah. You want to use oh, them as boy. sandbags. Yeah, you want to use them to fill sandbags. I love it when the humor gets dark. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any other form of humor? I mean, you'd really? have to have a lot of kids to, to stop up at that point. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, crap. There we go. <laughs> We're off to a great start. <laughs> Oh yeah. boy, I uh, managed to do a little bit more house cleanup this week. Helped a lot uh, this weekend with uh, Pierre and Melissa doing renos on their new place, and work, 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 and a little bit more work. That's it. Pretty boring. I uh, did some food prep. Love my instant pot, and uh, still working away on my uh, pile of firewood. Absolutely nothing this week. What a whirlwind of a week for uh, for myself. It's been uh, yeah, it's been crazy, but I'm now off for two weeks, so I'm sure I'll have some stuff for the next couple of episodes. Nice, very nice. Yeah, don't drink cool. too much beer. No, don't have to worry about that. <laughs> it's hard to reload and assemble radios when you're when you're drinking beer. So you gotta. You gotta <laughs> there's, no such thing. there's no such thing as too much beer. Yeah. There's just a lack Jeff of must be coming over, right? <laughs> Possibly. Well, on the subject of work, my overlords decided to release me a day early, so I'm actually here, which is nice. So, yay, extra day off. You, you have um, another job? I thought you were interning here. 
Well, this, oh, is, this is getting awkward. This, this, is the un- <laughs> this is the unpaid job. I mean, I you to... said you weren't dedicating your time to anybody else. He doesn't get a paycheck. He'll always be my number one, Eric. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, anyways, so reloading season is here. So this is the rainy season where it's too gross to do anything outside. So I sit in my shed and or office and uh, reload or prep brass. On that note, I bought a uh, ultrasonic cleaner on the cheap from Amazon and. Um, after like a bunch of reviews and research and everything else, these, these Amazon ones seem to be fairly good. And uh, yeah, I immediately got to work like cleaning up jewelry for the wife and doing brass and this, that, you know, thing. actually it turns out uh, gun parts like bolts, like the internals of bolts and stuff are like, yeah, this thing is just the bomb for, uh, for cleaning up stuff like that. Hard to reach places. As long as the water can get there, it cleans it up, which is good. So a uh, big difference in the, uh, the brass outcomes, especially on the inside of brass, which is kind of awesome. Um, so yeah, that was good. With the ultrasonic cleaner, a lot of playing going on. Uh, repaired some storm damage from what Jeff, Jeff will discuss later on here. We've had some greenhouses toppled over and tarps on the firewood piles getting blown off, even with the weight, weights on them and everything else. Uh, so I had to fix all that. Uh, green shed out back here. It's like my hay shed. Um, it was just kind of like a, well, it's fire under M for miscellaneous, like the whole big pile of stuff in there. Uh, besides hay, there's just a a mess. So I uh, reorged and did that some uh, some wood shelving to actually put those you know yellow yellow and black Costco things. So you could we did like a slide out system where you could actually like uh, stack them up and still access all of them. So you can kind of crack open the lid, reach in and 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 still have it kind of vertically stacked. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Um, let's see here. I did an overhead thing in the shed too. There we can actually throw like lighter stuff overhead without it falling on me and everything else. So it was kind of nice. Uh, made an order from Bryden for some Mylar and O2 absorbers for uh, for reasons. You know, Just what could those reasons be? Yeah, they're they're consumables. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Is I tend to go through them for reasons. Um, uh-huh. And and I happened to order some Berkey filters from this this dude out in Ontario, uh, Rapid Survival. I don't know if you heard of him, but uh, I heard that guy's a jerk. Yeah, <laughs> Once or twice. but the shipping is fast, so I, I let it slide, even though he's hard to deal with otherwise. Um, <laughs> I did a uh, my first in probably two months gun post deal. Um, so you know, CGN is so last week. Uh, now we're on gun post. I was gonna say, wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. So gun post is kind of the new up and comer. And to to be fair, volume wise, I think they're actually larger than CGN now for for actual ads and stuff. Um, and I think I've done three deals on gun post in the last week, which is like so the the views on these ads are like much higher, I guess than. CGN because they make it easier to access for uh, for the buyer's market, so it's very interesting. Um, and then yeah, I had uh, a couple dead birds uh, pop up in the coop there, uh, I guess dying of old age. But then also I had to process a couple, so we had uh, excess roosters and we had to kind of do some uh, selective breeding, so to speak, and some uh, some hardcore eugenics. And uh, yeah, so we took care of a couple roosters, and yeah, so. We've got some uh, chicken in the Instapot, like Jeff was mentioning, and some that's getting uh, sent to the freezer. So I think that's it for the last week. I don't know. That's uh, basically since last remembered anyway. That's, that's a pretty good achievement list, I'd say. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just kind of what I off the top of my head. I'm sure I was like when I was coming and going. <laughs> I'm sure I did more, but I don't know. It's whatever. So Nice work, man. Yeah. Nice work. Still, it's a good amount. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't get much done. I had uh, a long work week. <clears throat> Things are just starting to get really busy in uh, in the new line of work. Uh, but I did manage to go retrieve my 6,500 watt generator. 
So I'm going to get it running again. It's been sitting around for years. At least it's been covered, not outside in the rain. But yeah, it's going to need a total do-over. Uh, managed to do a big cleanup in the pickup truck. And uh, even managed to clean up the inside of the windshield there. It's a brand new windshield. So I finally cleaned it the first time after three months having it. It's been nice. And last but not least, I'm trying to sneak in some electrical into the truck before snow flies. Uh, I don't know if that's going to manage, but that's what I've been working did, on. Did you say you cleaned up Taco? I did, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> I know. Say what? That yeah. is an achievement. It Gunny, is. Good for you. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, I'm kind of curious. What kind of electrical upgrades are you talking? Like a battery blanket, or like, or like internal stuff, or like just so I can run a lot more on the internal. So, what I've got ah, is okay. a couple of off-board battery terminals. Okay. And I want to set those up and some really thick gauge cabling to go to those so that from there I can run uh, wiring to the inside of the cabin where I'll be able to use those extended cables to add 12 volt sockets to the inside. So I can also power things like a future mobile ham radio setup, CB radio setup, and a 2000 watt inverter inside the cabin. So that's what I'm working on. Yeah, because I saw those posts you had on your battery there on the uh, the winch video, and that was pretty yeah. awesome. So yeah, those those are really sweet, and that's that was the the beginning of the project is to have a good anchoring system for all that cabling. Because one thing I can't stand is when you have the spaghetti inside your your vehicle. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. I, I want to have some orderly cabling in there. But when you have two sets of winch wires, a front one rear one and then you're going to have another set of wires going to the inside to run your inverter then you're going to have another set of wires for the accessories you're going to run in the cabin well it starts to get kind of busy so i want to clean that up and make it look at least half professional so, yes yeah, so what, uh, what kind of gauge wiring would that require to go from the truck to the the house so you just have to be pretty thick like 10 gauge or something or from uh from under the hood to the inside i'm probably going to go with two watt which is uh, probably the biggest that I can handle in terms of crimping uh, lugs to and uh, ring terminals. So it's going to be pretty thick stuff, but that'll allow me to run basically a, a full power load on that 2000 watt inverter. So if for some reason I needed to take my Starlink on the road, no problem. Uh, I can do that and run even a little vacuum cleaner while I'm doing that. Nice. The other thing it's meant to do is to charge the mobile battery pack that I have started working on, but it's it's going to take a little while, and now the entire project's going to have to go indoors for the wintertime because it's kind of awkward working on batteries out in the freezing cold. So that's what I've been doing on the prep side. It's uh, trying to keep up with the snow. It's, it's kind of crazy. Build a shed. <laughs> Heated and insulated. <laughs> I'll come help. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> okay, for me, well, we had an exciting week. We had one of those Generlink systems installed where they take your meter, your power meter off, and put this chunk in, and there's a plug-in. So you plug your portable generator up to it, then it disconnects. Well, the grid's already down because the power is off, right? But it plugs it in, and then it doesn't feed back into the grid, so the power workers are your friend. And then it'll run your house right through your right through your uh, 200 amp service. So everything will run just like per normal. Uh, mm -hmm. Heck of a lot cheaper than the Generac system. 
but you got to be home to start it up and you got to be home to shut her down. So it's not an automatic system, but you know, it costs us about 2000 bucks tax in. So it was a pretty good deal compared to a Generac. That's a much now, fairer cost. Does it, <laughs> if I was to plug a generator into it with the main power on like hydropower on, would it kick off the hydropower? Yeah, I think it will. It's got a, it's got a series of, of lights on there that tell you if your power is off. Well, you'll know anyway if your power is off, but it's supposed to disconnect the system. And you won't even know when the power comes back on because your generator will have it or having the system up will lock it out. So the, the power okay. will come back through until you disconnect it. So All it's right. safe in case the power yeah, comes it has, back it has on. An automatic disconnect, right. so it yeah, it doesn't yeah, automatically it doesn't automatic disconnect. Yeah. If the power could be on around the neighborhood and, and you'll still be running away there, not knowing unless you're watching what's going on. So mm -hmm. you got to be observant to when the power comes back on so you're not running your generator for nothing because it'll stay off until you disconnect it. Then the grid hooks back up again. So it's kind of a neat system. No, so it's, it's exactly, uh, it's, sorry, go ahead, Jeff. No, I was going to say that's, that's exactly what I'm, that's, uh, next on my list to install is exactly one of those. That's why I picked up that, uh, big 6,500 watt generator for almost free and did the work on to mm -hmm. get it going and everything is that was my plan was to have a, uh, to have the Generlink system. So I don't have to be running extension cords everywhere in the yeah. house. I mean, I don't mind doing it, but, um, yeah. just yeah. being right. able to, to plug into that. Um, as long as you're not, you know, you turn off your high power things like, you know, your hot water heater and mm -hmm. probably your dryer and, Maybe even your stove, you don't you don't really have to, but it, it, depending on the size of your your generator, it'll probably run your stove. Um, but then you've got things like you've got you know direct hookup for your water pump and your fridges and your freezers and all that, and you're you're not running around running all those extension cords. So, because mm -hmm. yeah. I bought that system, that Reliance system that goes through the wall. Yep. So you plug your generator in outside and it goes through the wall to the inside where there's a, a six watt or a, um, excuse me, a six outlet plug block. Yep. Mm -hmm. I still haven't put it in. Still working on some outdoor renos for next year and figuring out the mounting location for it. But I, I did start reading about that Generlink system and I, I was wanting somebody to know, I was wanting to know somebody who had experience with it. So like Terry, did they have to get? I know you posted in the chat there the uh, the information about the guy who did it, but mm -hmm. did Hydro yeah. have to did Hydro have to come out and do anything, or did this guy yeah. be able to do everything? Yeah, no, Hydro's got to come out. He arranges the the Hydro guys to come, so they are all set up a certain time to come, and uh, either in our case, the Hydro guy basically did it all. He just pulled the meter off, popped this thing in, and put the clamps back on. He said, depends on who you get for a hydro guy. He said, some guys will want him to do it. The hydro, just to make sure that it's there. Then sometimes they want to shut the power off of the pole. Just depends yep. on, uh, on how it gets done or who you get. But yeah, they, they look after all that for you. So the biggest um, question is how loud is it? The, uh, the generator. Yeah. Well, I, I got a great big deck box that I put the monster in. We get an 8,500 watt. It's a beast. And uh, so I, I put a deck box out there to put it in, and it's a hell of a lot larger than the generator. So once I get it in there and get playing around with it, I'm going to start slipping in a bit of insulation, maybe some thick styrofoam insulation to kind of keep the noise down. I run a, run a piece of 
steel pipe to take the exhaust out of the box so I can close at least some of the box up. I'm going to have to watch the heat. It'll be a bit of a, an experiment to, uh, you know, to get the know, get a feel for it. And winter will be different than summer, of course, as well. So, yeah, it'll be a little bit of a play. They had, I'm sure a Generac system is a bit quieter because they're all built in really nice, but yeah, you pay a dearly for that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I got a box that the lid opens and the two doors open up on the front. So you, I'll, I'll put some insulation in there and play around with it a little bit. So I just want to make sure I understand this, Terry. You're actually going to take your generator, test it, learn how to use it, and figure out the best way to operate it before any kind of major event happens? I don't know. Not we haven't <laughs> had the power go out yet, Eric. That'd be weird. <laughs> we haven't had, we haven't even had the power that's, go out yet. So that's, since we got this thing, so I'm sure we'll get like a you've listened to, to the last the last couple of episodes where we've mentioned that might be a good idea to test things before any kind of major event happens. Yeah, yeah, I'm working at it. I still got a <laughs> I've still got a couple of things to do with it, but I want to. I would like to insulate that box, keep the noise down, so that uh, it's not as loud as it was. So. Yeah, we're getting there. Well, you're, know uh, the... you're, you're a lot further ahead than uh, a lot of other people. I mean, you know, you, you've got the generator. Now you've got the way to hook it up. And, mm -hmm. you know, until I, until I get mine, I've got that system that Brad talked about. I installed that through the wall kit. So I, I don't have to try and run extension cords through open windows or open doors in the middle of the winter. I just plug the cord in at the, uh, on the outside box and I have six, as Brad said, six 110 plugs on the inside, and I can just run extension cords to my my fridges and my freezers and all that stuff. But I really like the idea of having the Generac and being able to run at 220 as well, just, mm -hmm. just in yep. case of. Um, not that I would probably ever use it, but maybe it wouldn't be a, a bad idea to have a, a nice warm shower every once in a while or something, have some hot water. But, mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. I, I just think that's a lot easier than than running the extension cords. Although it's not not bad for me being on a one story house and and that. But if you're trying to run extension cords up and down stairs and all that stuff, it could be a pain. But yeah, because we had, we used we used a similar system. It's what you're speaking about, have to run extension cords, but this will give us the ability to to run the the well because we're on a well, so yep. that runs on yep, two twenty. So, so yeah, that'll oh, give us the ability to my, do that. Yeah, my my well pump isn't, um, and I had rewired it last year from a direct uh, connection to a plug, so that I could mm -hmm. unplug it, plug the extension cord into it from the through the wall kit, so I could at least have some water. So yeah. I've got to do that with mine. My uh, my well is uh, only a one twenty, <clears throat> but it's still. Uh, still nice to be able to do that unplug it plug it in somewhere else mm -hmm. the only thing that runs 240 in the house here is the frit sorry the the stove uh the dryer and the ac unit yeah i think i'm picking so up I, on a new nice uh, topic what's that yeah it could be I'm a good topic a, you know a new topic yeah yeah, yeah. So. um you were talking terry how much did they quote you or did you even look into it for a whole system from generac oh My, no uh, we didn't really quote anybody but i looked at some and talk to a few different people and you, you know, 10, $15,000 is, uh, is not out well, of the question. Uh, as we were talking, I texted my dad. He lives not too far away from me and he got ones put in natural gas, $13,000. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Runs and the depends. entire system, runs the yeah. entire house, everything as if yeah. 
nothing ever happened. They can still run the dryer and the stove, everything all at the same time. Yeah, they're fully automatic. Okay? Oh, yeah, they're, yeah. Yeah, they're nice. <clears throat> yeah, nice. He wanted peace of mind. Well, until they're, 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 they're nice, but you're, ta- you're, you're talking about a significant, I mean, and, and I know everybody's situation is different, but I mean, I got that generator for a hundred bucks. I spent less than a hundred to get it running and get it going. Even if I pay 2000 for the Generlink system, I'm set up and going for 2200 bucks as opposed to 13,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's only as good as the, uh, the accumulator and the uh, gas line stays uh, yes. full. Right? So <clears throat> this is true. This so is true. Anywhere, tried- from, anywhere from two days to two weeks, you know, basically depending on neighborhood usage. <laughs> I tried to tell him that that it would be better to get like the propane one with a with the propane T on it or something, so you can at least put an extra tank on it, and switch the tanks over back and forth. And he's nope, I don't want that. I want the natural gas one. We're never gonna run out. And so, Dad, you you went through the ice storm with us, seventeen days with no power. There's tons of villages around here that still had no natural gas on it. You still want that? He said, "That's is what we want." Okay, fine. Said my peace. Have a nice day. Cough, cough, wood gas fire, cough, cough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> That's the only cheap. reason he joined there. us tonight. It is. That's why. Yeah, he's out of here now. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, file this uh, into the uh, the file system of another topic. And uh, let's move into the main topic for tonight, shall we? So this evening, we figured we'd go back to ham radio. Weird for... Uh, for this show, I know we've only done a couple of <laughs> couple of episodes on ham radio, but we figured uh, we'd go back into some very basics because we we've gone into a couple of you know diving into the weeds a few times and, and a little bit more heavy tech side of things on some of the uh, the past episodes. So we wanted to get right into uh, describing some of the stuff that's very very beginner level because it's. We just realized that we've gone way, way too far into the weeds in some of the episodes. We've got some comments on the fact that, hey, what? What did you say for that whole hour and a half in that past episode? So we wanted to kind of break down and get some of the, the basics out there and help anybody that's thinking about getting into um, the amateur radio world or is kind of on the fence about uh, writing a test to, to get your license or just kind of wondering about some of the things that we've talked about on other episodes. Uh, we're going to get into some basics here tonight. We've got uh, Scott, if you want to start us out. So uh, forever ago, I bought a used satellite phone, figuring, great, I can have independent comms, but it's dependent on someone else, someone else's technology, something I don't have control of. If I want to pay for a subscription, it's ridiculously expensive. So radio is beautiful because it's just point to point, you know, my setup and Eric's setup can talk to each other without sort of equipment in between. Um, so it's just lovely. So I went and I did my ham radio license with a local radio club and met some of the nicest and smartest people around. Like everyone was just so welcoming and so happy to sit and explain everything. And like they just genuinely enjoy the hobby and genuinely, genuinely enjoy introducing other people to the hobby. So if you're in the least bit interested um find a ham radio club or like one of the the uh, rack courses online um, because these people are are wonderful so what is a radio wave what is radio 
we have to dial it back to what is the electromagnetic spectrum, right? So everything from radio waves through to light, through the x-rays, all of it is part of the, the radio spectrum, the electromagnetic spectrum. So when we're seeing light, that's part of the spectrum. Red light is sort of one frequency and it goes all the way through the rainbow uh, to all the way to purple and to go ultraviolet sort of beyond what we can see. So you sort of have to keep that in mind. And the fact that there's only one spectrum is why they have to license it and pay attention, right? So if, if you are doing something that's going to uh, impede others using using radios, that that's going to be a problem, right? So within the spectrum, there's sort of little different wedges of frequency that, you know, some are reserved for the military or first responders or broadcast television. So we're talking about the stuff that is sort of little wedges that are reserved for amateur radio, um, high frequency radio, CB radio, uh, little family, like the FRS, GMRS, uh, sort of, these are the ones we're talking about. So it's just sort of a, a smaller part of the spectrum, right? So what is a radio then, right? We're going to dial it back to the light bulb analogy. Okay? Picture one of the old school incandescent light bulbs. You pump in some energy and the filament starts to send out light. Right? That's what a radio is doing. It's just part of the spectrum that our eyeballs can't see. It's something else is able to see it. Right? So your radio equipment is pumping energy into the antenna. The antenna is kind of acting like a filament. And that's what's sending out that, that signal, sort of just bouncing around. Right? And depending how we... Uh, use it, what we're tuned for, what equipment we have, just depends which are the signals we can hear and, you know, sort of hear, see, our equipment can pick up, sniff, whatever you want to talk about it. So when you talk about radio equipment, we talk about a transceiver. That sounds very complicated. What it is, is a transmitter and a receiver in one box. So for the analogy, let's split it into two. We're going to have a transmitter and we're going to have a receiver. Okay. For your transmitter, picture a guitar, right? You got your strings on your guitar, you pluck one and it's going to vibrate and send waves out on the frequency that that string is tuned to. You set up a listening device over here that is only listening for that exact guitar note, right? That exact string being plucked, right? You're ignoring all the other notes. So you pluck the string here and over there, that receiver is just listening for that. Nothing else. So th that's kind of the, the analogy of what your radio system is doing, right? So if I'm trying to talk to Eric or Terry or, or Jeff Right. If we're tuned, you know, the transmitter and the receiver are tuned to that same frequency, that same guitar note, so to speak. Right. That's how, right. I send out a signal. They can hear it. They can send back a signal and I can hear it. Right. The fact that it's a radio wave versus a guitar string, it's the exact same con 
context, right? We're just talking about sort of the, these waves of different frequencies, right? Different guitar strings are different frequencies. They're reserved for, you know, this one's for the military, this one's for first responders, this one's for amateur radio, this one's for broadcast radio, right? So that's, that's kind of what we're talking about there, right? Um, we've also talked about um, different strengths, right? We talk about like, oh, what's a five watt versus a hundred watt? More power, so, the better, right? More power, the better. Always. <laughs> but the reality is if, um, so picture you're standing on a dock at a lake and your friend is on a dock on the far side of the lake, right? It's a nice dark, not a lot of interference. They can blink one of those little keychain lights where it's just like an LED and a battery and nothing else. And you can see that light blinking, right? That's sort of a, you're close enough and there's, you know, it's dark enough. There's no interference from other light. You can see that light blinking. They can send a message, right? If it's, there's more light out because there's a full moon, there's a bit of haze. They all of a sudden need us, you know, one of these massive mag lights that has, you know, the size of a baseball bat full of D cell batteries <laughs> to convey that same message, to be able to send that message across. Likewise, if you're, you have receiving equipment that's more sensitive, if you're watching the little the tiny keychain light through binoculars, your radio, your, your receiving equipment is more sensitive and it's easier to see that message that they're trying to send, right? So that's a great analogy talking about line of sight. Certain radio frequencies need that line of sight, right? If there's an island between you and the other dock, you can't see the flashlight, right? So then we can change into other frequencies or work with a repeater. So we'll start talking about other frequencies first. So high frequency for the for this model, let's talk about a searchlight bouncing off the cloud. You got the bat signal. Where's bat Brad? We got the bat signal bouncing off a cloud and bouncing down to you. So even though there's an island in between you, it bounces up off there and comes down to you and you can get that information. The analogy isn't about how bright the spotlight is. It's about something that's kind of tuned to bounce off clouds, right? Likewise, if you're driving and you're coming up to a hill or a curve and you see some headlights shining off the guardrail or shining off um, the clouds or the, the trees above the hill, right? You don't see the headlights yet. You don't have line of sight, but that information is coming to you that there's a car coming the opposite direction, right? That's kind of the analogy for HF radio. We can go back to talk about repeaters where you need line of sight. So we'll do a different, different analogy here where you want to talk to someone way across a crowded room, right? They can't hear you and you can't hear them, but you're standing next to the guy on the stage that has a megaphone. So the guy in the megaphone and the guy on the stage can hear you. So you say something to the megaphone and that megaphone repeats it, hence the name repeater. It's very complicated. And all of a sudden that message is broadcast much stronger, much louder from a higher position 
to your friend across the room. And all of a sudden, you're able to relay a message that you wouldn't be able to relay otherwise, right? That's what a repeater is doing. You put that antenna nice and high up, and it just sends messages back and forth exactly what, you know, just repeats what it's told and doesn't change anything, right? But that way you can have that line of sight. So if you at the top of the island have, you know, a big dome mirror on a tower and you can see the flashlight in the mirror, but you can't see it directly, that's kind of how a repeater is, is working. So um, <clears throat> then we've also talked about AM versus FM, right? So picture um, if you're playing a trombone and it's sort of do, you know, a very good trombone player that's sort of playing, you know, feathering it. And it almost sounds like the musical instrument is speaking. <laughs> that's kind of what your radio is doing. It's sort of bending the frequency a little bit so that you can sort of extract the sound on the other side, right? AM is amplitude modification, right? It just makes it you know, it goes up and down versus frequency FM modification, right? Where it sort of stretches or shrinks the frequency uh, to kind of create the groove on a record, essentially. You're, you're making a sound, you know, a, a way for that machine at the other end, the receiver, to interpret what this sound is supposed to be um, and, and play, the, play the sound you intend it to play that way. Uh, so, I mean, in a very rough analogy, that's what radio is, right? You're just using these, these photons, these waves in the electromagnetic spectrum to send information out that's either going line of sight to, to your whoever you want to hear it. You know, you're just locally, you're talking on little walkie-talkie FRS radios, Perfect. You know, you, you talk to your buddy at the hunt camp. Excellent. Or you're in town, you bounce it off a repeater and you talk to your friend on the other side of town. Or you're looking to talk, uh, you know, two towns over without a repeater. So you, you bounce high frequency um, sort of on a narrow, narrow trajectory up. So it bounces down. NVIS or um, the part of radio that I'm most interested in. Or you set up a high-frequency setup like Eric has, and you know, you, with five watts, you can talk to Spain. It's really quite, quite impressive. What does the uh, so, NVIS stand for again? Near vertical imp uh, impedance skywave. And so that's just uh, just a variation on HF. You said near vertical yeah. instance skywave. Thank you. Um, so yes, and so normally for HF, you want to have your antenna set you know, way high up. You have a great long wire feed antenna, 100 feet in the air. Um, that's kind of the easiest to get out. But picture that sort of long sloping M where it's sort of bouncing off and you have a skip zone because it's going up, hitting that stratosphere and coming back down couple of what a thousand kilometers away well that doesn't do me any good if i want to talk to the town a hundred kilometers away or for example my buddy's new cottage so if you move your antenna down so it's close to the ground uh it's like what six or six to ten feet is that that fair eric you're, you're gonna start an argument scott 
However, you said it. It depends. I've had luck with about six to eight feet. Yeah. So you, you set it lower to the ground. So instead of kind of going out at more of an angle, it goes more vertical, hits the stratosphere, and that sort of first bounce is coming down closer to you. So that skip zone where the higher antenna bounces off the atmosphere, comes down and kind of misses a couple of towns before it hits the, that radio wave hits the ground again, you're kind of making it a higher angle so that it bounces down closer to where you are, which is, like so, I said, exactly I what I'm interested in. I saw Quick a really question. good example of this. Um, uh, the tech prepper does a really good uh, example of this where he sits sits down, he has a garden hose in his hand, and he sprays the garden hose at about a 45-degree angle away from him. The water doesn't hit him, but it goes a good distance away and hits the ground. Right, So the, that's to kind of put to picture what the radio wave looks like on just like a higher-up antenna. Then he takes the hose and he just holds it right in front of him and just sprays it straight up. Water falls all around him and on him, right? So at that point now, that's the radio wave going up, bouncing off the ionosphere close by and coming right back down really close to you. So NVIS is the same idea, shooting the, the signal right up and having it come right back down instead of it going off on a big angle and then bouncing you know, about a thousand or so kilometers away, coming back down. So people close by can hear you, hear you instead of people further away that so, was a really good way of kind of picturing it cool. and it's really that is really good it, quick it, question for you it's huge so you, sorry i'm just going to talk about nvs for a second brad go ahead. it's really interesting how depending how you have it set up if i'm talking to eric on an nvis setup where it's bound it's that garden hose going straight up and coming down you know within a couple of hundred kilometers he can hear me but he can broadcast from his higher antenna and i won't be able to hear him because it's yeah. skipping right over me right over top yeah hmm. uh, quick, quick question from the uh the uh listers there too so phil says if you wanted to switch between vhf and hf would you need two separate radios or we just need to change the antenna connection ah depends on the radio sorry a lot of the a lot of tech answers are going to be depends uh, the, there are radios that do both um, you end up paying a premium for that, whether it's worth just starting with uh, like a, a, a VHF, UHF radio, talking to a repeater in town, you probably get away a lot cheaper getting into the hobby. Uh, HF radios do tend to be a little bit more expensive and radios that sort of do all three bands tend to be even more expensive. You're, you're paying for the yeah. privilege of convenience. So, like for Absolutely example, are. like the uh, the yeah the UV five R does VHF UHF for like forty bucks, but if you do like the ICOM seventy one hundred seventy three hundred, you can get all three VHF UHF and HF, but it's gonna be a thousand bucks plus. Like oh, easy, bucks. easy, yeah, fifteen hundred bucks. bucks. Yeah. So, yeah. so you're paying for the privilege of like a shack in a, in, a, in one radio, right? So yeah, um, and to to further on uh, Phil's question, you'll typically have different antennas. Um, so that's it, yeah. some radios will have two antenna outputs, one for the HF side, one for the uh, VHF, UHF side, just because they're, they know they're going to separate antennas. Um, so whether you have a, a change set up or just have totally separate antennas, um, you have to keep that in mind. Um, one of the things that we haven't talked about is 
different antennas, right? So different antennas will be tuned to different wavelengths, right? When you're talking about high frequency on very long wavelengths, you know, one of your ideal antennas is just a very long wire that is, you know, an appropriate fraction or an entire wavelength. So if you're talking about a 40 meter long wavelength and you want to have a 40 meter long antenna wire, you know, that's a whole lot different from the the six inch stubby that does your GMRS radio and is sort of well tuned to, to those frequencies. Yeah. So quick question for, for you. <clears throat> you were talking, Scott, um, if I had a very tall antenna that I would hit, I would have the, I would hit that skip zone and, and skip it five, 600 kilometers away from me. Is that, at the top of that tower, is that a vertical antenna or a horizontal antenna? Uh, yes. I'm going to have to say it depends. <laughs> it, could be, it could be either. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. You, you can set up antennas all different uh, different ways. There's, you know, you, you look on, um, like, the Radio World Canada website, and mm -hmm. they've got 50 different antennas that go in all different directions. Okay, so part two of my question. Yep. You were saying if I brought my antenna closer to the ground, I wouldn't skip as far away. Again, it depends on the antenna, if it's vertical or horizontal. Correct. Yeah. So okay. it, the, the, it takes a lot of playing around too. Yeah. Like the, the okay. higher antenna versus lower antenna um, is that garden hose example that uh, Eric alluded to from the, the tech prepper where the angle that the, the water is shooting out away from him is kind of the equivalent of the angle your radio waves are shooting out. So if you're set close to the ground, they kind of have to go more straight up. If you're set higher in the air, they can go out on more of that angle and sort of spread out around the world it's almost like if you have to like coordinate between the bug out location and your and your house you probably want to step that antenna ahead of time and test it that is weird that's <laughs> weird yeah. it's almost want to see what works while you have a cell phone to back up so you can actually talk back and forth chuck, like, can, you, can you hear me now you chuck know? one up for the intern and, yeah <laughs> and stay tuned for upcoming events for a way that you can actually test this uh, to, to your point, Ian, that's exactly what Eric and I were doing, you know, sort of playing around with uh, with these setups where, you know, we have reliable, easy cell phone communication so that we can figure out some of this stuff and sort of help dial it in to figure out what's working, what's not, um, because it is both an art and a science. Um, 100%. Well, and it depends on your use case too, right? Some people like myself don't really like people, so I don't want to talk to some guy in France. But I would like I would like to talk to my guy that's just out of out of VHF range that is like very near, but still HF is the best way to go because he's got three mountains between me and him or something. I'd rather have something that can work shorter distances. And so yeah, like I, I mean I don't you know different different uh, I guess goal for my HF setup than than the average guy right who wants to make yeah. contacts in like Easter Island. I I don't. But well, and I exactly agree with you. I mean, I think it's fascinating being able to, you know, to talk to Europe. Um, and if there's some, 
you know, huge catastrophe and being able to get news from outside, sort of looking back in. Yeah, that's a valuable resource. But the reality is, if I'm trying to talk to someone in my mag or um, sort of a, an ex local thing within a, a reasonable distance, I have this to trade. I'm looking for this. Who's got? Oh, you got it. Great. Right. Yeah. So someone, someone on this podcast once, you know, started talking about bartering being a super useful uh, option. Right. So on this you, podcast, yeah, no, it or not. I think we fired sure? the guy for some reason, but anyway, um, I totally agree with you, Ian. Being able to talk locally is like that's my interest. That's exactly Huge. what I'm interested in. And local uh, could mean it'd be a relative term, right? It might be like two towns yeah. over, but outside of VHF range, nonetheless, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that bug out location that's a hundred kilometers away. That. Um, you know, you're at your cottage and your spouse is working back, you know, in your city house or something like that. Uh, you know, is that a, a communication setup that you want to have independent of other technology? I can plug this radio into a battery here onto this antenna and, you know, talk to the significant other at the cottage. You know, that, that's or even into solar. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. well, exactly. So actually, there's a related question here from Shelter, Fire, Water, First Aid, and Rescue. That's a big name for a channel. Uh, but don't know if you touched on this. Uh, how do you feel about CBs as well as communication, as well as for communication device and emergency or traffic jams? Actually, I, I got a good answer for that if I can like step in as the intern here. So <laughs> because like honestly, all it takes is you buy it, buy it the cheapest CB radio you can, turn it on. And listen for about five minutes and you'll turn it off and never turn it on again because it's the wild west on cbs and generally there's a bunch of guys yeehawing and screaming and reading on there and you'll find that ham radio frequencies are not only less busy they're a little more organized a little more polite and so if the cb radio is already like on fire right now and kind of out of hand imagine trying to get an emergency message through on that uh versus like an hf where you can you might actually be the only guy on the frequency might um it's world's different. So like as, as far as like using a CB, it's probably easier set up and no license required and all that stuff, but you will never ever get like a coherent, clear, consistent message out of there because it's just overloaded all the time. Yeah. There are what... certain, there are certain areas on certain bands where there's a uh, similar on HF, but surprisingly they stay put the one frequency for the most part. And yeah, they don't spread elsewhere. So if, if you are a ham nerd and you're over at 7.200, that's always fun. But beyond yeah. that, but yeah. there's certain there's certain times where they have, they'll have like a you know like a, a net and, and they'll be like super busy on the HF. But oh yeah, that's yep. temporary in nature too. It's not like you're listening to you know Trucker Jimmy down in, in South Carolina, no. you know, going off about something and, and he's he's skip zoning you into yeah. your your place in North Bay and you don't really care about his beer run with 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 yeah. this, you know the bandit <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just it's just not interesting at all. Like I I I had a CB radio actually hooked up to my my vehicle there back in high school. And it was annoying back then, so I can only imagine it's even worse now. Like it's <laughs> anyway, and it's it's interesting looking at um, FRS and GMRS. They're in Canada, uh, free public use, no license, but they're very limited in what they can what they can do. It's just a little handheld with a fixed antenna. Uh, they max out at two watts. Some frequencies it's half a watt, so that. You know, the idea is 
you got a whole bunch of people using FRS radios crowding a you know, ski hill or something like that, trying to organize when you're going in for cocoa. Um, by being lower power, it's trying to keep it contained so that one town over at the other ski hill, those people can use the same frequencies and they're not going to, to hear it. Um, because, yeah, you run into exactly that where it sort of gets so overcrowded and so uh, drowned out that it, it makes it hard to use. So FRS and CB, because they're unlicensed, public use, um, less organized and less polite. You know, not that people are trying to be rude, but it just happens. <laughs> well, so. and actually real world example with the FRS radios, I mean, uh, maybe about 500 feet between the pump house and my, my actual house house. And uh, we were having trouble just because there's a few trees in the way with mm. the low power setting the way it was just even communicating back and forth uh, using those two radios during a power outage. So it was like, you know, the really limited usage, right? So like, you know, more like kids walkie talkies with a fancy covering is all they are. So, <laughs> but anyway, but I, I will say any form of communication is better than no form of communication. So well, if, yeah. if all you can, if all you can get is a CB radio, use it. Right? Yeah. You just, it may be your, your mileage may vary depending on your location. Well, especially but, if, you get, if you get a set for free, like if you get a couple yeah. of CB radios and somebody hands them to you for free, okay, go for it. Like, you yeah, know, obviously not? I'm not going to poo poo yeah. free stuff. I mean, yeah. but um, yeah. Well, and again, depending on your use scenario, um, yeah. So my, my buddy's cottage actually came with an old CB radio base station <laughs> that uh, I presume they use to call people in when it's dinner time. You know, they had a little handheld out in the boat and, you know, a CB base station there so that if someone's out fishing, they can talk back and forth. You know, the, they're a little imagine. removed from a lot of population. So you're not hitting all of the, the CB radio traffic, hopefully. Um, yeah. So again, what is what is your use for radio? What is what are your goals? And if CB is is appropriate for that, because it saves you the the trouble of uh, getting licensed. And let's face it, CB equipment you can get super cheap compared to to like HF stuff. If it meets your needs, <laughs> why not? Well, two things on that. One. Any megaphone, like your analogy, Scott, is still a megaphone. No matter who's listening, it's still somewhere, somehow to get some signal out to maybe get you some help. And two, you would be very surprised at how expensive some of those CB radios are. You go into some truck stops, and they're four or 500 bucks for a simple one. Well, that's because those guys, too, they live on that thing, right? And they're... Oh, know, absolutely. It's, 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 it's a side hobby they can do while they're driving, right? So Yes, but um, it's still like... They're they're getting up there in in their complexities nowadays. I got oh, a couple yeah. of buddies of mine who pull who pull gears, and they can go a lot further today than they can ten years ago. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm not slagging on CB radio. I, oh, neither am I. I'm just saying I, you'd be surprised with how much they do cost nowadays. And like I said, megaphone's still a megaphone, no matter yep, who's listening. Yep. Yeah, very true. Cool. To to that point, Brad. Yeah. Anytime you're broadcasting, you are broadcasting on. Open air, unencrypted. Anyone listening can hear what you're saying. Um, you know, I, I mean, that's again because there is only one spectrum. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we're we're all sharing the exact same radio waves. You are uh, absolutely right. But, you know, just just another thing to keep in mind. Yeah, but oh, it's yeah. also simpler too. Like CB has only got forty channels, so you can just say 
channel 40 versus you know a frequency number and everything else so um so there is that aspect of it i mean like i'd like to to slag on it a bit but i mean it's still it is yeah it's much simpler setup so and just when you describe a channel whether it's on frs or cb uh it is everyone agrees that this exact frequency we're going to label channel number three and yeah. any radio you have, it's pre-programmed that that exact frequency, that exact tiny bit of the electromagnetic magnetic spectrum, when you turn your radio to channel three, that's the one it's talking on. Yeah. Right. So that's what a channel is. It's just a, a, a preset memory for an exact frequency. It's a human label. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it's good. Or is that... I don't know. I probably just talk long-winded all night. <laughs> no, I was gonna say I can talk about my stuff there if you want to. Yeah, no, let's jump yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, well, because like, okay, see, but your stuff was like even like beyond the basics too. So like, we've actually kind of skipped over a bunch of the other stuff too. So, um, one of the complaints I've had from people on other podcasts that happen on Monday nights is is that like actually getting qualified is a bit of a as a bit of more of a barrier than other people would see it as, right? Like, not Fair everybody is. says, nobody was like, oh, yeah, I'll just do that exam and call her a day. Like, other people are just like, it's just not worth my time. It's not worth the effort, whatever. And just to get licensed for something I'll never use, you know, all that stuff. So, we actually haven't really harped too much on how there is some, I guess, assistance available to get qualified. So, I'm also guilty of this too. I think Eric is as well. Is that we used to, we keep calling it Industry Canada, right? And yep. take a typical government form. Uh, why use one word when four words will do? So uh, they changed it from Industry Canada to the actual name is Innovation, Science, and Economic Development Canada. Sorry, that's five words. <laughs> Say that ten times fast. Yeah, I mean that's we we, no. we shouldn't we shouldn't call it Industry Canada because now you can't even Google it, right? So I mean. Right. Uh, we should actually use the actual name of it. And um, so, yeah, I put a, a link in the show notes here that Eric, I'm sure, will throw on the uh, the chat there. But basically, there's one homepage that will take you to the place where you can find practice exams. Uh, all the questions they will ask you on the exam with the answers. Um, and, you know, you can actually, like, without having a hammer, you can start opening an account up and everything else before you get your uh, call sign and all that stuff. Yep. Simply for the fact that um, try to break down that barrier of getting that initial uh, qualification going. It's actually not as bad as you would think. So um, on that note too, there's also some free software available online for people to get qualified. Uh, one is called Examiner, pun intended. <laughs> um, yes, and it's uh, basically you can download all the basic questions into it. It'll run a bunch of practice exams for you and you can either uh, choose it to show you the answer or you can actually try and run it as a practice exam yourself. So you can basically uh, brute force all the, the questions eventually if you keep taking press exams over and over again, like some people did. And uh, <laughs> no shame. <laughs> yeah, no shame here at all. Like, I'm fully um, like, honestly, if we can touch on that for a second, the, yeah. all the learning happens when you actually start to get the radios in your hand and you yeah. start to connect things together and you start to experiment and play around with it. The, the exam is a barrier for a lot of people to get by. And I think it's because you're trying to learn everything by the textbook and it freaks a lot of people out right and a typical government form format right like the, the exam has little to nothing to do with reality of actually yeah. working a ham radio so like myself like i'm learning every time we talk about yeah. something just like i asked scott you know 10 minutes ago what something meant i don't know like rick i mean i fully admit it um 
but I mean, just get the exam done. Just, yeah, memorize the questions or as required or whatever and just get through the exam. Then the real learning starts. It's almost like a license to learn, like you said, right? Yep. Um, so uh, to, that link that Ian was talking about is literally the actual questions you will get on the exam. Yeah. That, just to be so clear the, on that. Yeah, so there's, there's no secret. Yeah, no secret as to what's coming on the exam. Like, I mean, you'll see some familiar questions. And you'll be like, I know it's answer C without even looking. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> like, um, and there's also another uh, piece of software out there called Ham Puzzle, and a Ham Puzzle represents about ten percent of the exam, and basically it's like radio assembly. Now, you and I, well, maybe not Eric, but most people will just buy a prepackaged radio. They won't build their own, right? Uh, whereas uh, probably what 10% of your mark is put towards what uh, components go in what order when you're building a radio. Well, it's something you're never going to use, but hmm. why not get that extra mark on your exam? And so this hand puzzle shows you how to put the components together in proper order so that you'll get an extra 10% on the exam, which you know hopefully gets you the 80% mark so you can get your HF frequency access. Um, so yeah, like so use the free software. Cool. If, you, if you can't find it, we'll send it to you. So just send, drop us an email and we'll make sure that you have access to all the free software. Um, I actually went as far as I downloaded the questions, highlighted the correct answer, so you can actually just print them off. And if you're sitting there on a lunch break, you can just read through them without a computer. Um, there's, there's tons of ways to do it, of course, right? Yep. Um, and I guess we haven't really touched on... I guess we've kind of danced around the issue a few times, but the actual reason from a preparedness st uh, standpoint as to why we're always pushing ham radio, um, I don't think that in, in case of, you know, the zombie apocalypse, people are going to sit behind a ham shack for days upon days upon days just so they can chat with some guy in France and ask him how the weather is. I mean... <laughs> Wait a minute, what? Yeah, it's true. That's why you, I was doing this. You, you may not. I mean, well, you might, but uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah. So no, I, honestly, it could be it could be something as simple as like Scott for his bug out location idea. It might just be like, hey, Scott, we'll send a message to his buddy up in his bug out location. I'm executing plan number one. Doesn't have to be an encrypted code. Just say, listen, I'm just I'm plan number one. I'll be on my way, and then the guy can look up plan number one in his binder and see what you're doing. And oh. even if it's five minutes worth of radio, it might be worth your time just to have that ability to mm -hmm. do so. It doesn't take a whole lot. It doesn't take a you know massive battery bank backup system or anything else. It might just be a handheld VHF thing just to talk to somebody across town. Even like it's it's basically a, like a um, kind of a, a last chance to send a, a tight message to somebody that knows what you want to do, and so you can coordinate yourselves. Like I'm going home. I'm not going to come to work and try and find you. And good, we'll both go home then. It might be just a, something as simple as that. So from a preparedness standpoint, it's not. It might not be a long-term thing for you. It might might be. I don't know. Um, I'm sure Gunny can relate to the fact that uh, radios can be a force multiplier. Very much so. Yeah. So in case you have, uh, you know, zombies coming in from the back and zombies coming in from the front, or just all from one direction, you can maybe focus your energy towards that direction for reasons. Um, and if the other guys don't have that radio, then also you have an advantage. And you know, it might just be that kind of a of a, case, a use case. But the last one, I think we just we did touch on it. What, 10 minutes ago, but the barter item idea. You might be Eric in the zombie apocalypse and have a battery bank and have the HF to talk to buddy in France about the weather and stuff. But hey, all of a sudden now you can pass a message and say, hey, for a dozen eggs, I'll pass the message to your mother-in-law in Florida that you know, you're know you okay and you're going to be at the lake house for the next six months. That might be a useful skill. Nope. And if that's, if that's your plan, I mean, that's, that's, that's a community... Nobody in the community is going to poo-poo you having that ability to do so, right? So right. Um, whatever your long-term goals are or maybe what your, I don't know, I guess, uh, what do you call it? Uh, 
I guess, equipment uh, requirements are. Like, uh, that could be an item. Um, just as a side note, I mean, everybody uses HF and, or sorry, VHF and UHF at work, like whether it be uh, first responders or whether it be just like loggers or truckers or whatever. Lots of people are using all that stuff, but HF is still in use. Um, a lot of people think of it's, it's kind of like a, an outdated kind of means of communication, but I mean, honestly, uh, general maritime, like every, every ship on the, on the ocean right now sells an HF rig on on board hmm. and, you know, whether it be just as a backup thing for this, when the satellite goes down or just as a means of, uh, emergency communication or whatever, airplanes use them daily. Um, like yeah, just shocking how many vehicles and stuff still have an HF on board, and it's still a necessary piece of equipment. Yep. Yeah. There's uh, on fourteen point three hundred. There's the maritime net that happens all the time, and it's just an emergency style net in case uh, there's something going on and they can't get their regular way of communication out there. Um. So you'll hear that all the time on uh, on the twenty meter band. Uh, but yeah, it's very much so still something that is is utilized, like Ian was saying, and and we harp on you know getting your license and practicing now because that's just something that we you know casually mention every once in a while. Get some equipment, learn how to use it before the zombies are knocking at your door. Well, I, I know think a John, lot of people harp on us for well, I don't want to get a license, I'll be on a list. Well, hey, you're listening congratulations. To this podcast, you're already on your list. list. <laughs> We're all on a list. <laughs> We're all on lists. Yeah. That's right. But yep. I mean, like. Uh, Josh from Ham Radio Crash Course, right? He said it best. He says, I can teach a guy to use an AR-15 in 15 minutes. I can't yep. teach somebody to use an HF rig in 15 minutes. And so, yeah, maybe Good it's... Point. Yeah. It's, yep. Time time might be better spent learning how to, like, you know, work those dials like a pro uh, versus be a total operator right off the bat. So, just saying. That's true. And one's less likely to be banned than the other. I'm not saying which is which, but... I mean, well, never now. say never. For now, yeah, and that actually <laughs> yeah. that leads me to what we will talk about in the podcast challenge yeah. as well as far as banning goes. We got another question <laughs> in the live chat here, just asking if you need a different license to build an antenna. You do not; just your basic um, basic license in Canada. Uh, you get into uh, having to build like actual radio type systems. If you want to build something that's not a kit and design your own radio, then you need an advanced license. But uh, just for building your own antennas. I don't even think you need a license. No, nope. yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't even think you need a license. Period. To build an antenna, it's just a transmit on it. Yeah, you can build whatever you want. Yeah. Um, and on that note, actually, if you do start studying the advanced course, they send, tend to spurg out like to the max on antennas. Like a good chunk of the exam is antenna. Sure it is. <laughs> so, <Yep. laughs> I was shocked when I saw how just how much of it is about antennas. I was like, okay, well, yep. that's going to answer a lot of questions. But antennas and safety, electrical safety, tons of that. Mm. Safety, shmafety. I, yeah, I was going to ask that. what's <laughs> covered specifically in the advance that would make us want to go that route. So that's useful well, the, to know. The, the one qualification the advance gets you that the, the basic with honors doesn't get you. Uh, like basic with honors gets you access to everything, right? If you get 80% on the exam, you get VHF, UHF, and HF. So, if okay. you get less, less than 80%, you just get the VHF, UHF, right? And so that's the problem. So that's why you want to brute force that exam and get as high a mark as you can. Um, but the advanced gives you the ability, and yes, there's there's exceptions, Eric. I know, but the advanced gets you the ability to build and or like run a repeater. That's it. Oh, yes, that's right. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, so, so you can maintain a repeater system, and you get a little bit more power, if I remember correctly, too. Yeah. So I mean, if you want to put oh. that megaphone on top of a tree in your back forty or whatever, and and have like the the the, the, the Scott repeater that reaches the lake house or something. You can do that with the advanced, and nobody can stop you. I mean, you still have to 
go through the motions, paperwork, uh, getting a getting a frequency assigned, and a bunch of other stuff. But it's possible, yeah, and okay. there, there are ways around that without the advanced. But we won't talk about that right now because that's, that's other it's stuff. Called but... pirate radio. <laughs> well, no, but you can also do cross bands. <laughs> like I don't want to talk about cross band repeaters. True. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. but yeah. No, I mean seriously. Like uh, the advanced thing has a has that one benefit is that the fact that if you want to run your own like backdoor repeater that's that's specific that you know it's for your homies that's that's a good way to do it or if you want to help out your local ham club that you're going to go talk to after listening to this episode you can help maintain their current repeater systems and learn about repeater systems and how they're deployed and how they're set up and then go to your own that would require okay. me to pe- that would require me to people outside the house though, and I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah, but a lot of pe- and that that brings you <laughs> to another point is a lot of ham radio operators are also preppers. Well, yes, yes a lot, no. but not all. Yeah, yep. yeah. but you'll run all, into a but... lot of lot of s- similar minded folks. That's for sure. What, what I like about it, this approach is for a fellow like me who's very hands on. It would give one the opportunity to get hands on to the gear and the repeaters and the experience of it before you commit to an advanced uh, exam. And I think that's what I would love because I'm a, I'm a hands-on sort of fella. I tend to have a lot of hands-on people who gravitate to my content because it's really about, Hey, let's do it. And uh, that's what I like about it. And I'm pretty sure I'll find a whole bunch of those around here. So I love that strategy. Reach out to the local hand clubs. Also, when you wore green, wasn't the kind of the, the motto like, you know, uh, explain, demonstrate, repeat three times or something like that? Isn't that how they kind of. Oh, yes. It's yes. Wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. And uh, they hammer it into you while you're doing it, too. So, yeah, same idea in my work, too. It's yeah. like they, they, they explain it once, they demonstrate it once, and they expect you to do it under supervision like a few times at least. But, and then they, they check the box and say, oh, yeah, good to go. That's so, right. And, and in our case, sometimes they like to have you do it under stress. Well, that really, really takes hold, you know. That, that's the best way to do it, right? 100%. So, Phil, Phil's got an awesome question in the live chat. It says, can ham radios be tracked if you're not transmitting but are connected to a repeater? Well, I can uh, answer that. Great uh, question. Yeah, so, okay. Uh, technically, you're never really connected to a repeater yeah. per se. Um, there's no actual physical or electrical link it's basically just the only time that the repeater actually gets activated is when you transmit with a certain code it doesn't matter really right now but until you start transmitting that repeater is not even activated per se and and not rebroadcasting your signal so you won't be tracked you're not connected to it and if you're not transmitting nobody can track you anytime anywhere now if you are transmitting on certain frequency bands yes there is something called a df steer or there's other ways to call it, but anyways, like there's there's triangulation involved. Um, there's a great movie about that about World War II. There's a uh, there's a new radio movie about that. I'll should put the link in the show notes here, um, where they actually have a true story about a, la- a lady that was doing pirate radio and captured in occupied Europe, and she kept on having to move her station around because they kept on trying to triangulate her. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's a thing only when yep. you're transmitting though. Yep, your local ham club will most likely participate in what they call fox hunts. Yeah. Where they will set up a radio to just randomly transmit at you know intervals, maybe every five minutes or so, and then they'll try to, to actually find that uh, radio that's transmitting. Wow. Uh, but as far as like Ian said, if you've got a radio tuned to a repeater and you are not transmitting, that repeater and everybody else that's transmitting on it has absolutely no idea that you are listening, and there's no way to track you. Mm-hmm. 
cool stuff. Right. Yeah, it's fun, fun stuff. Uh, just seeing Dave's question here. I'll throw that up in the live chat here. This is uh, trying to get my brother in Delaware interested in an alternative way to contact my East Coast family from Kentucky in emergency situations. Otherwise, uh, CB would meet my uh, needs locally. Yeah, probably HF is your thing, Dave, for that one. Yeah, I totally agree. I love HF. Yep. It's a lot of fun in a nerd kind of way, of course. So the movie is called All the Light We Cannot See. Basically, it's uh it's a Netflix movie that's out right now. Cool. Good to know. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um yeah, other than that, I think that's uh, all I had. Yeah, I was going to say anything from uh, the other panelists, and I'm mindful that we're at uh, an hour 20 here, but... I just wanted to quickly... Go for just, it. Just kind of say, um, do your research a little bit. Don't just go out and buy a, buy a radio that you, you think looks good or whatever. Um, do your research. Talk to others. See what system would probably best suit your situation. So, you know, is your situation, you want to talk to France, you want to talk to, you're going to be on three, four, five times a week, or is it more going to be just a backup emergency type situation? Um, obviously, depending on what you want to get into, it can get very expensive very quickly. So um, have a plan, have a budget, start small and build your, build your way up from there. Don't, uh, I'm not saying don't jump in with both feet and get something good if you if you have the resources and you're pretty sure that's what you want to do. But um, I know for me, I've I've started small. I'm still small, and I'll be uh, continuing to build my stuff up as I as I need to, as the needs and the funds and everything else uh, happen. Yeah, that's a good point from Jeff. Is you you can jump into this uh, this radio thing and spend a ton of money real quick. Uh, when, you know, a simple like $40 bail thing radio will do you just fine. Um, yeah. So yeah, kind of map it out and, and work within your means. Don't go, uh, spend in thousands of thousands of thousands of dollars on something that you, you may or may not use and reach out to the local ham clubs and talk to the folks there. Cause a lot of them will actually very happily say, well, come on over and see my setup and check it out and use it. And that costs you what, maybe a coffee, right? So there's nothing wrong with that to get your hands on some good equipment and figure out how, if it's even for you and then go from there. But just a cheapy little handheld radio is all you really need to get started. And well, after you play around with that for a bit, you'll expand. My summary of all of this is don't be intimidated. There are people that will happily explain all of this stuff to you. They, you know, the, the ham radio community genuinely enjoys getting more hams involved, getting people t educated on this stuff, showing off their ham shack, showing off their equipment. You know, they, they take such pride in it. Um, so don't be intimidated. Reach out to, you know, one of the local clubs, people online. Um, everyone sort of enjoys this hobby. Uh, so, you know, you don't have to jump in with two feet. Just see, you know, put a toe in the water and see what happens. And ignore the occasional chirp about your Chinese radios. Because you're gonna hear those. It's true. Yep. Yeah. Don't worry about it. It's okay. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, with that, shall we move into the podcast challenge? 
Yeah, sounds good. So uh, my podcast challenge today was the like the one thing I learned by talking to ham, uh, local ham guys, is that fact that the government is always trying to like steal away frequency bands, right? Like they, oh, we could really use that one for research, or we could really use that one for medical res- uh, medical use, or whatever. And so the problem is that their their main concern seems to be the lack of new hams coming into the scene, right? And I think the best thing we can do right now, if you want to preserve this, is go out and get licensed because the more ham radio uh, operators they have on file the less likely they are to come and, uh, and steal away certain bands, right? Agreed. Because I think the bands were given us back to us in the 30s and stuff, and I think they keep on trying to encroach into that. So I guess the actual challenge would be to uh, reach out to a panelist and start studying for your ham license, and the more hams, the less likely the man will be uh, to try and take the frequency bands from us. That's a good uh, good thing to point out as well. Once you get your uh, your license, it's yours for life. So just keep that in mind. There's no renewal. You don't have to keep up with it. So once you've got it, if you don't ever use it again, it's still assigned to you. And shockingly, no fee for it yet. No, not yet. So get in now. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've got me in the frugal space right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. They haven't taxed it yet. So just give it time. Gunny's going to write his exam tomorrow now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm start cramming now. I know how these people work. <laughs> That's lost revenue as far as they're concerned, right? Oh, yeah. We've given away the secret now. Yeah. Oh. Thanks, guys. All right, we we'll move into uh, upcoming events. So tomorrow, the local um, preparedness group here, we're starting to get into a uh, more standardized uh, NVIS uh, type of net setup. So we're going to try and do it a couple times a month, uh, and just hop on a frequency. We're going to do um, on forty meters uh, at eight thirty. We'll do the NVIS test. We'll do that for about uh, half an hour, and then we're going to switch over into uh, VAR-AC, which is the digital mode, which is beyond kind of the scope of this episode. But if you want to hop over to the Discord, uh, I'm going to be lining everything up in there so everybody knows what the frequencies are and what time we're doing things. I'm going to do net control tomorrow night for it, but we'll have different net controllers throughout, uh, throughout the tests. But we're going to try and do the NVIS thing and see who within the province we can con- contact and who outside of the province as well. We get kind of an idea of where our antennas can reach, how far they can reach, what kind of signal we can get out and what we can receive. So if uh, if anybody is interested, licensed or not, if, uh, if you're licensed, you can actually participate and communicate with us or try to. Uh, if you're not, if you hop in the Discord as well, we can explain ways that you can uh, use your computer to just listen in and hear what it sounds like and get an idea of what the transmissions are like, at least for the um, the, the single sideband side of things where we're just doing voice communications. You won't be able to listen to the digital side. Well, you can, but it'll sound like a bunch of screeching and weird computer noises, so there's no point in listening to it. But uh, if you if you want to listen to the uh, the audio side of it, I can explain to you in the Discord as well how to, how to listen into that. So... It's tomorrow night. That's uh, November the 6th, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be doing a NVIS test, and everybody's welcome. They're absolutely fascinating to listen to because people report in their call sign, other information, but they'll say where they're sending from. So you're like, yep. oh, wait a minute. That person's in such and such a town. Great, that's where my folks live. You know, it's just neat yep. to know that you can talk to wherever they're broadcasting from. Right, Jeff, you've got a weather blurb. I do. So Ian mentioned it probably an hour or more ago about uh, the wet conditions out west. So there's presently an atmospheric river affecting the Pacific Northwest. Uh, there's been flooding reported in Seattle and Portland and other areas. Uh, this is 
kind of similar to what happened last winter down in California where they got um, all that snow and rain. They got atmospheric river just one on top of the other. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that bad here, but it, it will linger for uh, several more days. So uh, more flooding can be expected. I mean, obviously with, with that, um, the good part about it, I guess, if you want to talk about that, is that parts of the Northwest uh, have been dealing with drought conditions for months now. So this is going to go a long way to alleviate their uh, drought conditions. It's probably too little too late for crops and stuff like that, but uh, at least it might give them a good uh, head start in the spring. And uh, I'm also looking at and keeping an eye on a low pressure system that's expected to make its way into the Great Lakes in the midweek. Uh, bringing a blend of snow, freezing rain, and ice pellets to the north, and heavy rain expected to the south. So, Terry, you may get to uh, test your gender link sooner than later. Uh, the exact position of the mixing line hinges um, with the temperature and the system path, and it uh, still remains a bit uncertain. Current models suggest it will pass over the Lake Huron and Georgian Bay area, likely bringing heavy snow to northeastern Ontario, and freezing rain, a threat to central and eastern Ontario. Uh, northern areas like Timmins, Kapiskasing, that could maybe see anywhere from 20 to 30 centimeters of snow. And uh, areas in central Ontario, North Bay, the Muskokas, Algonquin Park, heading out east, Bancroft, even out to the Ottawa Valley. Uh, there is the potential for several hours of freezing rain. Uh, the most severe conditions are probably going to happen overnight Wednesday, uh, so they may potentially disrupt your Thursday morning commute or other things. And uh, if you've got kids, you may be uh, having some bus cancellations. So just keep an eye on your local weather, and I'll uh, keep popping stuff up on the Discord. Can you just cancel that weather, Jeff? I'm on vacation this week. Uh, no, that's specifically, why I did it. that's specifically why I planned it. Can confirm it's soggy out here for sure. <laughs> All right, we got deal of the week. Yeah, so uh, 120 millimeter ammo boxes, which are, if you can imagine, the 50 cal size, but like 30 inches high. So they are absolutely massive ammo boxes. Are on clear out at Princess Auto right now. 18 bucks, which they're waterproof. They can hold well various things that like are <laughs> fairly long in length and fairly narrow if you can imagine and uh yeah waterproof variable paintable they can turn them into giant faraday cages you can do whatever you want with them they are uh, pretty handy and uh it's like massive multi-use dude tupperware so um yeah they're on clear out for the next little uh, while it seems to be at least till the end of the month anyway so yeah 18 bucks for yours yeah very nice hey, does anybody have any shout outs negative all right, and the uh, the email inbox was dry, so no email to talk about this episode. So with that, I'll bring episode number 221 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or of course your favorite podcast app. Uh, please submit a review wherever you listen. It does help other people find us. And we do record these shows live on YouTube and the Book of Faces if you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That will give you an alert when we are going live. If anybody has any questions or wants to reach out to me, you can get me at feedback 
at prepperpodcast.ca or I frequently monitor the Discord. Likewise, I'm not responsible enough to have my own email address. Feedback at prepperpodcast.ca is great to get to Scott. Anybody wants to reach out, it's batbradcpp at gmail.com and I'm also on the Discord. And for me, it's just my name, Terry L. Blackmore at hotmail.com, or I do hang out at the annual Preppers Meet Facebook page once in a while and post some horrible content to get people riled up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can find me, the Frugal Gunny, on my YouTube channel, on Rumble, on Facebook, Instagram, and even on the CBP Discord. Man, you guys are like social media awesome. Like, I mean, I can't even imagine what it'd be like to be on Facebook and Discord. That's just because so cool. we follow the rules, Ian. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, that's so weird. Yeah, <laughs> do we now? Every time I, I have to mention that at work, it's like, hey, uh, there's a there's a there's a WhatsApp group, you know, that you can get on. I was like, can't go on WhatsApp. Why not? I'm like, uh, it's, it's awkward because uh, it spies <laughs> on you. Yeah. So yeah, it's actually kind of funny. So uh, yeah, well, you can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail dot com. Uh, you can also find me occasionally on Canadian Patriot Podcast, which is on iTunes and YouTube. We record Monday evenings at nine PM Eastern. Uh, I'm also on the Gilded app, but that's the only place I'm allowed, pretty much, uh, for Patriot Podcast. Email us if still. you want to invite. Still, yeah, for now. <laughs> Um, there you can find us discussing why government waste in society has me wishing for a larger ash cloud. <laughs> All right, you can check out uh, Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com and get me there on the live chat. So you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. So thanks for joining us, and until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. <laughs> <laughs>